37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode 148 and Cryptid Encounters number 14. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, and with me, as always, is Preston. What's up, everybody? And then uh, it's just the two of us again. Stephen actually is out of town this week, so he'll uh, hopefully be joining us again on the next episode. But he's out there doing the Lord's work, finding me... Um, Hannibal Season 1, Volume 1 on vinyl. So, Hey, did you uh, see that uh, through the the sheer will of the fan power alone that they bothered the fuck out of Netflix, so Netflix is actually developing Season 4? No way. No way. Really? Yeah. So Steve told me, uh, first of all, everybody listening, if you haven't watched the Hannibal television show, now is your chance if you have Netflix you have to do yourself a favor and check out the Hannibal TV series. Yeah. Uh, it's just something just completely fucking phenomenal. And uh, the soundtrack alone is worth watching the show for. And, I mean, that's just a very small fraction of what makes that show so amazing. But, no, Steve told Shayla and I last month when he came over that that was the hope, is that it would launch a huge, um, you know, uprising in the amount of interest that show had. And then hopefully Netflix would do kind of like Breaking Bad and uh, maybe make at least a mini movie, you know, or a mini series. Because Brian Fuller has always said he could do a series four, even in like a four part mini series or just maybe four episodes just to maybe wrap up the story. Because he wanted to finalize the entire series with Silence of the Lambs. And unfortunately, you know, NBC cut him short because of politics, and he never got to make that fourth season, so. Yep, they uh, just announced that Netflix is going to, they're listening to the fans for a change. Oh, like, my You guys God. want it? We're going to give it to you. I almost want to just stop recording this to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting that for so long, dude, because you watched uh, Hannibal fairly recently, right? Uh, yeah, we just finished up, uh, season three with the Hobbit guy in it, um, Mm -hmm. maybe like six months ago, seven months ago. So yeah, the old red dragon, man, I, I really, really hope that you are right. I, I'm not going to go on and read any news yet, although I kind of want to, Um, well, I will share the article with you and you can read it at your own leisure. So I will do that. I will certainly do that, man. Uh, speaking of news, we want to give our first shout out of the episode to our buddy Adam. Adam brought to us the news story for this episode. West Virginians are campaigning to replace Confederate statues with Mothman. Fuck yeah. So, first of all, yes, we say fuck yeah, West Virginia. So, the article goes on to say Jay Sisson, a 30 year old teacher who lived in West Virginia his entire life makes a point to decorate his ninth-grade classroom with storied champions of the state's past. The brave but often misunderstood heroes pinned to the walls represent a certain rugged individualism and perseverance that inspired him as a child, and he hopes they do the same for his students. It's also no coincidence, 
All the heroes on his walls are cryptids. Sasquatch, the Flatwoods monster, and most importantly, Mothman. He says, I want my students to love their home, to make it better despite the problems that exist here. I want them to see the good that exists here. I want our community to beat the odds, and the Mothman can embody that spirit because it's ours. It's a symbol for something bigger. Now, it's not surprising, then, that Sisson has joined the growing chorus of West Virginians demanding the state replace all the Confederate statues with Mothman statues instead. As a West Virginia native, I'd like to think that we're all spiritually connected to him, explains a 24-year-old named Brenna, who spurred the movement on this viral tweet. Brenna goes on to tweet, starting a petition to replace every Confederate statue with Mothman. Next up, a following uh, picture here from Rage of the Devils tweeted, Good night, alt-right, and it shows the Mothman encroaching on the silhouette of a man who's fallen down. Jay joins the campaign saying, Tear down Stonewall Jackson's statue and replace it with another statue of West Virginia's own mascot and son, the Mothman. Repeat indefinitely until all Confederate monuments are replaced. This is the way. And, you know, I think it'd be awesome instead of completely destroying all the, 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 the old artwork that if they mm-hmm. kind of melded the two together. So in like certain cases, like, you know, the bottom half would be the original statue, but then that <laughs> statue would then be repurposed into like the top half being like some crazy fucking mo- Mothman with like a Colonel Sanders mustache and like. Oh, that'd be cool, man. Yeah. Or just lob off the, you know, the, the old statues at the waist and just build on your Mothman from the yeah. waist up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's a point that needs to be made, and we don't stand for any of this racism bullshit at all, so hear me out here. No matter what those statues represent, you know, if it's pure evil, if it's hatred, racism, all that, you know, they are still pretty decent works of art. Take away the substance. Yeah. The person who sculpted that did put a lot of work into it, so I mean... It should be noted here that the statues were works of art, although their meaning is complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, you know, repurpose that history so that you still have yeah. a you still have uh you know that that artist's work in place, but uh, you've changed the meaning of it, you made it something, you know, better. And mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. I think that'd be an awesome way to do it. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, man. Or the just article goes on to chop say up the, not... the statue into like little like body parts and have the severed body parts and then Mothman <laughs> on top of it. So just have Mothman tearing apart these old Confederate soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just some flash in the pan shit post either. To many West Virginians, Mothman carries more significance than any other Confederate sorry, not any other, any Confederate general. In fact, the legend originated in the town of Point Pleasant, where locals spotted a man-sized bird creature prior to 1967's Silver Bridge Collapse that killed 46 people. Now, we all know the story of that. We did a cryptid encounter on Mothman. From there, the story of the Mothman spread across the country and became an urban legend of sorts. As Mothman continues to appear around major disasters, i.e., the 1999 Russian apartment bombings, I didn't hear about that, and attracted Hollywood's interest via the Mothman Prophecies, starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney, based off of John Keel's book Mothman Prophecies, West Virginians officially accepted the winged creature and, of course, into their hearts, 
Point Pleasant held the first Mothman Festival in 2002, unveiling the original 12-foot-tall metallic Mothman statue in 2003, and opened the Mothman Museum and Research Center in 2005. They're advocating for the cryptid to replace all nine Confederate statues in the state of West Virginia. These monuments aren't celebrating history. They were specifically created to intimidate black Americans, says Brenna. Statues aren't needed to remember the past when so many are still experiencing the repercussions today. Therefore, all monuments honoring the racist and oppressive history of the Confederacy should be removed, and who better to replace them than Mothman? Hell yeah. Fuck yeah, West Virginia. And we even have that... um... That Christopher Columbus statue that's missing a head, like, I think we should petition that they put, like, Bigfoot head on top of that statue, so. (laughs) I mean, why not, really, you know? (laughs) Hell yeah. Well, that's awesome. Adam, thanks for sending that over to us, and uh, hopefully we see some headway coming through that petition, you know? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. Now, to carry on with the shout-outs on this episode, we want to give a shout-out to three specific listeners. So, way back when, a few episodes ago, when this pandemic first broke, and um, I was specifically complaining about how terrible it is to wear a mask. Uh, Again, hats off to everybody who wears those things day in, day out. The tireless efforts from, you know, medical workers, doctors, hospital staff, nurses, and everybody else, you know, we're just a drop in the bucket, but... Anyway, I I complained a little bit about having to wear those things with the scarring I have on the back of my ears, and uh, Baba Jarok reached out and uh, sent me a message and told us about how you can get those mask holders. They're Mm kind of like, you know, a series of hooks that you can put behind your head, and those masks will then, you know, kind of uh, not be on the back of your ears, but instead behind your head. Well, from there, it evolved into something even bigger, and I want to give another shout-out here to Slick Niner, our buddy Micah, and also Holly Knotts, which is my cousin Holly. A fun fact there. Because Micah and Holly both sent us mask holders. So after mentioning on that episode, you know, what Baba Draka told us about, Micah 3D printed some and mailed them to us, and so uh, each of you guys all have, the three of us have one. Yeah. And then also, um, Holly met me a couple days ago and dropped off some really awesome um, hooks that she has made as well. So the three of you guys um, are lifesavers, and we really do appreciate you guys. It means the world to all three of us, you know, to uh, help us out like that. So you guys are all awesome in our books. Now I'm rocking out my mask and style at work, so. Hell yeah. And I can hear again. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we appreciate that, guys. Presto, you got anything else at the top of the episode? No, I think I'm good. Cool, man. All right. Well, let's just get into it then. So far on Pixelated Paranormal, we've talked about what goes bump in the night. We've discussed things that are lurking in the woods, the swamps, the mountains. Hell, we've even talked a little bit about what's in the water. But there's a whole slew of other nasty creatures that are stalking us. And to catch a glimpse... All you might have to do is just look up to the skies. In the early 1960s in California, a couple driving through Trinity National Forest reported seeing the silhouette of a giant bird. They estimated to have a wingspan of 14 feet. They later described the creature resembling a pterodactyl. May 1961 in New York State, 
A businessman flying his private plane over the Hudson River Valley claimed that he was buzzed by a large flying creature that he said oddly looked like a pterodactyl. January 1976, Harlingen, Texas. Teenagers Jackie Davis and Tracy Lawson reported seeing a bird on the ground, but it stood five feet tall. It was dark in color with a bald head and the face like a gorilla with a sharp six inch long beak. A subsequent investigation by their parents uncovered tracks that had three toes and were eight inches wide. February 1976. San Antonio, Texas. Three elementary school teachers saw what they described as a pterodactyl swooping low over their cars as they drove. They said the wingspan was between 15 and 20 feet across. One of the teachers commented as it glided through the air on huge, bony wings like that of a bat. And on September 1982, Los Fresnos, Texas, an ambulance driver named James Thompson was stopped while driving on the highway when he saw a large bird-like object flying low over the area. He described it as black or grayish with a rough texture, but no feathers. It had a five to six foot wingspan, a hump on the back of its head, and almost no neck at all. After consulting some books to, to identify the creature, he decided it looked just like a pterosaur. Hold on to your hats, folks, and you might even want to hold on to your children <laughs> because we're back with Cryptid Encounters 14, Thunderbirds. All right. So what brought us to the skies for this episodes of Cryptid Encounters? Well, once again, it's fucking greedy-ass Illinois. <laughs> That's right, folks. Illinois is back at it again. They have Bigfoot. They have the Swamp Ass. They have Werewolves. They have an upgrade to Nessie, which, let's be honest, is just an oversized catfish. And Sean wanted to give them the Bearded Mountain Merman. But they couldn't <laughs> stop there. No, no. Because tonight is the night of nights that we take a stab at the Springdale Pterodactyl and Friends. Now, this cryptid is kind of tricky to cover, and maybe it's because it hasn't been around long enough to get the classic folklore treatment like our other cryptid encounters have. Mm -hmm. But uh, just, it didn't seem like there was a lot of stories with concrete dates. There's not a lot of details. Just mm -hmm. one simple commonality throughout all these stories. Some people saw something big and freaky in the sky. <laughs> right. That's what I thought was kind of interesting about researching, you know, Thunderbirds, pterodactyls, all these terrors in the sky. There's not a hell of a lot of concrete evidence like there is for Mothman. There's yeah. not one giant, you know, attack. It's just lots of people doing random normal stuff, seeing what they think are pterodactyls. Well, without Steven here on this episode, we're not going to be able to rely on his big old book of bullshit. <laughs> to find out more about Thunderbirds and Pterodactyls and the like. But have no fear, because I'll just dip into old Jordan Keel's strange creatures from time and space. You mean just a little bit. John Keel, not Jordan Peel. <laughs> what did I say? He said Jordan Keel. Oh, my God. 
Uh, I've been watching a lot of Key and Peele lately. Forgive me. Let's try it again. <laughs> I'm just going to jump here into John Keel's book, Strange Creatures from Time and Space, for a little backstory. So one modern traveler in Africa claimed to have heard about a living pterodactyl. In his article, Do Extinct Animals Still Survive?, published in an issue of Popular Science back in 1959, Everett H. Ortner relates the following tale. Frank H. Mellon heard from the natives of northern Rhodesia of a fierce creature that lived in a nearby Giandu swamp. It was like a bird, but not exactly a bird, more like a lizard with wings like the skin of a bat. Mellon noted this down, but only later did he realize its hair-raising implications. The beast's wingspan, they said, was between four and seven feet across. It had no feathers at all, but instead, the skin was bare and smooth, and it had a beak full of teeth. Meland was astonished. He said what he had here was a complete description of a pterodactyl, a giant flesh-eating flying dragon known only to paleontologists, and supposedly it's extinct for 10 million years. When Mellon showed the natives pictures of the reconstruction of a pterodactyl, they all nodded and muttered excitedly, Konamato! Konamato! It's not very likely that pterodactyls are still crawling occasionally out of ancient caves to glide over Coney Island and terrify citizens of Ohio Valley, but some kind of winged, unbelievable creature has been doing just this. Could it be the mighty Thunderbirds? Indian tribes from Mexico to Alaska hand down ancient stories about a bird so huge it blacked out the sun as it flew over. There have been a few scattered modern reports of some flying behemoth buzzing isolated ranches in the southwestern United States. But these have been reported in fragments and very poorly investigated when investigated at all. As with most of these stories, we're faced with a series of possible explanations. The stories could in fact be a pure myth and legend and have no basis at all. Or that actual phenomenon was misjudged and misinterpreted by the observer. Thus, an Indian who wandered too close to a nest could have been attacked by an angry eagle. Or, when he retold the story later, he could have maybe lied about the size of the bird. All of a sudden, it grew bigger to make the story a little better. Some of these stories were based upon appearances of UFOs. Since the Indians could not conceive of any machine-like object in the air, they could have easily interpreted these creatures as being some kind of great bird instead of simply a flying saucer. The Thunderbird is supposed to have had a wingspan of 20 or 30 feet and enjoyed dining on small children and old people who could not run fast enough to get away. As the name implies, the bird was often accompanied by a thunderous noise, a roaring flap of its wing, a factor that lends some credence to the explanation. A fourth possibility is that a dragon-like creature may have existed on the North American continent in early times, and that the Thunderbird stories are simply based on ancient encounters of dragons. In any case, the early settlers heard the Thunderbird stories and helped to perpetuate them. Then, during the slack of news periods, the tombstone, Arizona, epitaph, 
published The Marvelous Thunderbird Tale, which has become a classic and delighted several generations of monster fans. It seems that two cowhands were out in the Arizona desert one day when they came upon a weird apparition floundering about in the sand. It had a long snake-like body mounted with unbelievably long wings. Two bony claws extended out in front of the wings, and its head was like an alligator with eyes the size of dinner plates. It was ill or wounded, or something dragged it around to the ground and left it there. The cowboy's horses snorted and tried to bolt away. By the time the men got to their horses and got them under control, the thing had made a clumsy takeoff, blown about half a mile, and then collapsed again in the hot sand. The cowboys pursued it and pumped their rifles into the quivering giant, finally killing the beast. Then they measured it by pacing it off. It was, as they reported, 92 feet long and 52 inches in diameter. The wings had a span of 160 feet. Oh, fuck me. Just for size re- yeah, I know. Just for size reference, a B-52 bomber has a wingspan of 185 feet. Jesus. And the creature's head was 8 feet long with enormous jaws lined with razor-sharp teeth. The wings were of a thick, translucent membrane and had no feathers, scales, or hair. The body itself was smooth. After making these <clears throat> scientific measurements, the cowboy sliced off a tip of the wing and headed for Tombstone. The newspaper said that plans were being made to go back out and the skin of the thing could be used as a cured hide and then shipped off to a museum. At the end of the story, as all good cryptid encounters happen, all efforts to locate and follow up with the body to unearth additional information, possibly surviving witnesses, or to even locate the ultimate fate of the wingtip, have all failed. Oh, you, you like have like a non-big book of bullshit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a big book of some typos and a little bit of grammatical errors, but plethora of fun stories. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. So there are a few differing opinions on when exactly the first encounter with the Springdale pterodactyl occurred. So my best guess on the first modern encounter, nudge, nudge, uh, was <laughs> probably back in summer of 1977. However, there are a couple before that, but we'll get to that later because we don't want to digress and beat around the bush. Anyways, <laughs> Giant birds. That's why we're here. They were seen above several spots in central Illinois. The most sensational reports came out of the city of Lawndale near Lincoln, where a condor-like bird with a 10-foot wingspan dropped out of the sky and grabbed a 10-year-old boy in its claws. It began to fly away until the lad's screaming mom spooked the bird. Then he dropped the fucking kid and flew off. (laughs) Believe it or not, (laughs) this story was corroborated by multiple witnesses corroborated yeah there you go <laughs> corroborated corroborated <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why we're here folks that's why we're here so early one evening ruth lau the matriarch of the lau family was cleaning up in the kitchen after dinner and while she was in the kitchen her vantage point was obstructed to where she couldn't see her children as they played outside As she was casually scrubbing the dishes, she heard any mother's worst nightmare, the piercing scream of one of her children. 
She knew immediately it was none other than her 10-year-old son, Marlon. When she ran outside to see what the commotion was, she was stunned. Two massive birds flying in a tight wingtip-to-wingtip formation were chasing her stunned Marlon, pecking and clawing at his shoulders. As Ruth ran to Marlon's aid, the large, larger of the two birds sunk its claws into his shirt. Kaka, motherfucker! Fully lifting the 56-pound boy off the ground. But the birds were no match for the defensive mother because she beat the shit out of them. <laughs> Ruth kept attacking the birds and yelling and screaming and swinging her fist at the creatures to the point that where finally they dropped her son, uh, now terrified, to the ground after they carried him a distance of over 35 feet. Jeez, so man. Yeah. So I kind of wonder like how high up this kid got. Like, was he like six feet off the ground? Was he like 12 feet off the ground? You know, apparently not too high because mm-hmm. he survived. He's like in his 60s now and he doesn't want to talk about it, but whatever. <laughs> Anyways, the Lowe's went to the police where they were laughed at. And one of the cops allegedly said to Ruth. Now, uh, let me get this straight. A giant bird attacked your son. In her statement to the police, Ruth described the bird as. It had a white ring around its half foot and long neck. The rest of the body was very black. The bird's bill was at least six inches in length and hooked at the end. The claws of the feet were arranged with three in the front and one in the back. Each wing, uh, each wing, less the body was at least four feet. The entire length of the bird's body from back to tail was feathers and approximately four and one half feet. Does Mrs. Lowe actually read Bigfoot smut? Yes. <laughs> On the side? <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew that voice from somewhere. (laughs) All right. So let's fast forward to modern day. It's 2013. An eyewitness swore that he'd seen a pterodactyl swooping over Springdale Cemetery during his uh, lunch hour. While he was driving past the graveyard, and then another eyewitness said he saw a tremendous pair of wings soaring above the mausoleum. He said other drivers were looking and pointing at the same place in the sky, but apparently he was the only one to pull a U-turn that afternoon and speed to Springdale. Later, he described the bird as black and prehistoric with a wingspan of at least 30 feet. It looked like a pterodactyl, but not with such a bony nose. He also said it looked like it was hunting. Local residents have bombarded a paranormal website called Weird Darkness with similar stories implying that Peora secretly serves as a nest for mammoth flying beasties. Authorities, however, claim to have received no such reports. Now, Peoria, is that a part of Illinois as well by Springdale? Yes. Okay, cool. So how do you reconcile claims of a 30-foot wingspan? There's nothing even close to that size here in the U.S., really anywhere. The closest thing here in the States is the California condor that boasts a pretty impressive wingspan of about 9 feet, making it the largest bird in North America. Next to that, you really only have the wandering albatross. It's a big-ass bird with an even bigger wingspan of about 12 feet. However, that albatross lives near the Indian Ocean. Now, as with most of these bizarre eyewitness testimonies, sightings are often a matter of perspective, kind of like John Keel said. So some people think that the Springdale pterodactyl could just be a great blue heron, which does look pretty prehistoric. The great blue heron stands about four and a half feet tall and have a wingspan of about seven feet. 
Still a pretty big damn bird, but still a far cry from a 30-foot wingspan of the proposed pterodactyl. The pterodactyl, or pterodon, properly known as pterosaurus, were the largest creatures to ever attain natural flight in the prehistoric animal kingdom, with wingspans reaching nearly 40 feet. The pterosaurs ruled the prehistoric sky for over 100 million years until they went extinct with the dinosaurs, nearly 65 million years ago. Contrary to popular belief, however, pterosaurs were not actually dinosaurs at all but instead a family of large flying reptiles, which stood on two rather spindly legs and had wings composed of leathery, skin-like membranes that stretched from the animal's extremely long fourth finger down to its body. Despite their appearance, they too were not related to birds of our modern day, but were highly successful flyers and might have dined on fish and insects. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants with the, <laughs> with the little sound clips. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So obvious, the conclusion here that we can get to is that the uh, 30-foot r- wingspan and is the, that uh, Peoria has a new species of giant bird, or s- stick with me here for a second, mm-hmm. 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 a flying dinosaur that has slipped through a time warp. That's right, Fancy Pants. Cue my fucking sound effect. You know the one that I'm talking about. That's right. Time slips, baby. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the Weird Darkness websites, uh, they point out this. That's why Peoria should embrace these legends with tours, museums, exhibits, bird hunts, whatever works. Paint that image on water towers. Splash it across t-shirts, baby. Put that pterodactyl mascots in a wrestling match with Rod Stewart impersonator. Sell that pterodactyl, <laughs> Peoria. Sell it, you greedy Illinois bastards. <laughs> now, that's exactly what West Virginia has done. Yeah. To kind of bring this thing back around. They've really embraced their cryptid sighting and made that thing just about the damn near the state's mascot. Yeah. So Step it up. all right so i found some uh eyewitness accounts and let's go over those real quick so like i've seen this bird we lived in a house in alta lane we had a huge koi pond with a dock i was in the kitchen and this thing landed on our dock and sat there for like five minutes i screamed (coughs) it was perched on the dock as tall as a man When it finally took off, it flew directly over the pond. Its wingspan was as wide as the pond, about 20 or 30 feet. Oh my god, it's real! A friend of mine saw the bird about a month ago by the lagoon in Glen Oak Park. It spooked her so bad, the bird did not seem to be afraid of people, though. Uh, I came out of the Proctor Hospital. I looked up into the sky and I saw a huge bird. It was it was flying as high as a goddamn airplane. And hold on, oh, get a drag of my cigarette. Anyways, it was just a, <laughs> a huge prehistoric bird, and I didn't report it because who would believe that shit? <laughs> Another reader, Scott, says his wife and daughter spotted a slightly different bird. They uh, they saw it near the train tracks behind the Journal Star. It was huge. 
I don't know about the 30-foot wingspan, but it was bigger than an eagle, I'll tell you that much. It looked a lot like a gargoyle. Uh, so Scott Avery, a cons- conservation police officer with the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, he says he could see how someone could mistake a, a great blue heron, but... They're uh, kind of like a prehistoric bird and even make a sound like a prehistoric bird. Caca! Ducky, ducky. <laughs> but Avery says he has heard of uh, no reports of any massive birds, herons, or otherwise flying through Peoria, and he can't explain what people think they've seen. Unless uh, they've been sipping on some of Grandpa's old cough medicine, if you know what I'm saying. Another eyewitness, Leanne, says that uh, she doesn't think much about such things because people will think that she's crazy. I frequently walk through the woods that run through the cemetery. A month or so ago, my friend and I were, were in the woods when a, a giant bird had swooped down, and its its massive wings hit the tree on its way. I threw a rock in its direction, and it made a noise similar to a dog barking. Then it flew back up into where it came from. I, I've heard that barking noise coming from the same area every time I'm out there. I'm almost positive I know where it lives. Ooh. Now, here's what's interesting, too. In that case, you're talking about a dog barking noise coming from the creature. Um, I just found this right before we recorded, so I didn't get a chance to read the story. But Linda S. Godfrey, in her book, I Know What I Saw, talks about a guy supposedly who encountered flying dogmen in Hawaii. Ooh. I'm still going with time uh, traveling pterodactyls because it just. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. But look, it might not all be a big steamy pile of Chicago bullshit, because while some modern day encounters might be shaky and not that informative, I might have stumbled upon something that can we can tie it all back together with. So legends uh-huh. ab- abound in Illinois about mysterious giant birds, and they can actually date all the way back to the Shakoa tribe, an advanced and largely urbanized chiefdom on the banks of the Mississippi River, that teetered out around the 13th century. Now, the cos- cosmology of the Chicoka tribe is filled with fantastic creatures, uh, motifs of serpents, dragons, and monstrous birds that dot the cliffs around the former uh, Chihoka heartland, serving as a religious purpose and also warning strangers of the potential foes that they were entering in Chihoka territory. So the Chihoka territory at the confluence of the Illinois and Mississippi rivers dissipated in the 18th century. The most famous of these cliff drawings is what's known as the Pasaya Bird, a massive drawing etched into the limestone cliffs outside of the town of Alton, Illinois. It was first described in 1673 by the Jesuit missionary, uh, Jacques, I don't know, Jacques Marquette. Jacques Marquette. Jacques Marquette. Jacques Marquette, as he was exploring the area. The image clearly shocked Marquette and his party to the core, as he wrote in his journal. We saw upon one of them two painted monsters, which at first made us afraid, and upon which the boldest savages dared not long rest their eyes. They are as large as a calf. They have horns on their heads like those of a deer. A horrible look, red eyes, a beard like a tiger's, a face like a man's, 
a body covered with scales, and a long tail that winds around the body, passing just above a head and going back between the legs, ending in a fish's tail. The original... Uh, I think it sounds like a fucking Quetzalcoatl. Yeah, I know. And uh, that picture that I sent you today is basically the uh, recreation of that, so we can post that with the show notes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, the original depictions of the bird were described as some sort of hybrid reptilian thing. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, later it became more bird-like, but if you look at the actual what's on the side of the mountain, it, it's like a fucking chimera. It's like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's weird. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, a chimera. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like... Like a Japanese or like a Chinese dude, an Egyptian dude, and a Native American dude all got together, got drunk, and they're like, "Let's fucking paint the mountainside." And each one took a turn and just started like adding <laughs> shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the Shahoka tribe calls these birds thunderbirds for the sounds that they make when they flap their giant wings. Considered to be highly intelligent, these creatures alternated between between preying on and assisting the tribe whenever they pleased. The Thunderbirds, uh, or the Thunderbird figures, prominently in the legends of other plain tribes as well, including the Lakota, who believed that the birds embodied the supreme being that created all living things on Earth. By the 19th mm-hmm. century, the original drawing had been completely destroyed by weather and vandalism, though it has been. Uh, consistently redrawn and carefully maintained since then based on the sketches of the original drawing. In the 1940s, there was a rash of sightings of massive birds around Alton, not too far from the Pasai drawing. And on April 14th or April 4th, 1948, an army colonel named Walter F. Sigmund saw an astonishing sight as he was uh, conversing with a local farmer. Something wrong with my eyesight, but uh, it was most definitely a bird and uh, not a glider or a jet plane. It, it appeared to be flying northeast, and from the movements of the object and its size, good God, I figured it had to be a bird of tremendous size. <laughs> <laughs> so, just a, a few days later, on April 10th, there was another sighting in the skies above Alton. Um, a brief one, but on April 24th, the birds were back, and this time, many people saw them. Flight instructors at the local airport said the largest of the birds cast a shadow as big as a piper club from 500 feet up. So I don't know how big a piper club is, but let's just assume it's pretty fucking big. <laughs> at least as big as a B-52 bomber. Yeah, there you go. Other eyewitnesses maintained that the birds were as large as small airplanes and far more humongous than any eagle they had ever seen. As sudden as they appeared, the birds were gone, never to return until the summer of 1977 when they tried to eat that fucking kid. Huh. Yeah. That's funny. That story of that kid getting, you know, picked up and and flown 30 feet. I've read that in like two or three different books. Yeah. It seems to be a pretty damn common story. Yeah. And that kid's actually, that kid's still kicking. He's in his 60s now, and he refuses to talk about the, the whole ordeal. Um, but uh, the, I think uh, before his mom died, she agreed to do an interview, but I had a hard time tracking it down. But uh, the mm-hmm. kid's still alive, and he'll admit that it happened. Uh, he just doesn't want to relive the you know the terror. So Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, what's interesting here is that although there seems to be no real evidence that, you know, pterosaurs didn't die out a million years ago, 
just like every other cryptid that we talk about, no pterosaurs have ever been captured, and no bodies have ever been found of the supposed creatures. Time travelers. <laughs> Sightings have persisted, but stories of the flying reptiles have been recorded for many, many years. Hundreds of years, in fact. There's just not a whole lot of in-depth stories, just simple sightings. Some people think that the stories of the Thunderbirds could explain mythical dragon sightings all across lore of the Dark Ages as well. Mm -hmm. That they may not have actually been leathery, scaly dragons, but instead, again, pterodactyls. And then while we're researching this, I found more stories about Thunderbirds, because technically the, the term Thunderbird, it can either explain pterodactyls or it can explain giant feathery, you know, giant eagles, so to speak, just big birds. And this story actually takes place up in Alaska. In the early weeks of 2018, there were a lot of sightings up in Alaska of a giant 20-foot-long bird that was attacking and terrorizing people in the vicinity of Juneau, Alaska. Now, the initial report to hit news outlets, Facebook, and everything else took place on January 16th and even appeared on a Facebook page of the Juneau Community Collective. The witness who first saw the bird, her name was Tabitha Bauer, described seeing the large bird as she approached a movie theater in her community. She says, I was driving by the movie theater in the valley, and there was a huge black bird flying above the road. The wingspan had to be at least 20 feet across. It was almost as wide as the road. I have lived here all my life and have never seen anything quite like it. It freaked me out. It was not a raven or an eagle, and this is not a joke. This thing was huge, almost the size of a small airplane. Did anybody else see it? And that was the actual Facebook post she made. Bauer later told the Juno Empire that there had been raindrops on her windshield and that when she turned the wiper blades on, she looked at the windshield and then noticed the bird flying above her car. Judging the wingspan was roughly the length of the highway. Slowing down to observe the animal, she judged that it was flying in the direction of the nearby Mindenhall Glacier and that it was the biggest thing she'd ever seen in her entire life. It was very concerning, and she said she'd never seen anything like it. The incident occurred around 4 p.m. local time. Bauer went on to say, I know it sounds nuts, and I've been getting a lot of crap on Facebook about it, like I'm going crazy, but I wanted to post it just in case anybody else had seen it. Well, other eyewitnesses in the region described their encounters with the large bird too, some of them dating back several years prior. However, this is not the first time Alaska had encountered a thunderbird or a thunderbird-making national headlines. Back in October 2012, residents of the Alaskan town of Togiak and Manakotak were reporting seeing sightings of a bird saying it had to be the size of a small otter plane. Witnesses judged that it had a wingspan of about 14 feet across and was not the kind of bird you want flying around if you have small children outdoors. John Bowker, a pilot who had been skeptical of the reports, eventually saw the massive bird himself. The other people in the plane saw him as well, he told the Anchorage Daily News. The bird was huge. It was huge. Really, really big. You wouldn't want to have that flying around if your children were out. 
The obvious concern about children being snatched away by a bird easily this size was expressed by many who claimed to see the creature and perhaps it is not without merit. A famous incident involving a sm- <laughs> It goes on here to talk about the story of Marlon Lowe. A famous incident involved a similar report of a large bird and a one-year-old boy named Marlon Lowe. He had several other children playing outside the yard with him in an open area near Kickapoo Creek in Lawndale, Illinois, when Lowe was allegedly lifted off the ground by a massive bird carrying the child for several feet. Reportedly, the mother attacked the bird, dropping the child. Okay. Jerry D. Coleman had been the first investigator on the scene of the incident, and over the years since, his brother, cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, has chronicled this and other similar reports of Thunderbirds. Writing about the recent Alaskan incidents in his CryptoZoo news blog, Lauren gave some historical context about the recent sightings near Juneau. The late cryptozoologist Mark A. Hall documented in his book Thunderbirds, America's Living Legends of Giant Birds, that ethnographic and arthropological investigations published in 1870, 1874, 1881, and 1904 told of Thunderbird reports in Alaska. The accounts were from the Tlingit in the Alaskan Panhandle and at Sitka near the Mount Edgecombe at the glacier near Katala and from the Diamonde Diomed Islands near a mountain near... <laughs> these, these names are brutal. Sabotniski and around Kotzebue Sound, Alaska. In other words, there's a quite... Fuck me. In other words, there's quite a history of such reports in Alaska as well as an existing base in folklore among Native American traditions, and much the same could be said of the American Sasquatch. Fish and wildlife biologist Steve Lewis suggests that the bird witnessed by Tabitha Bauer was most likely a bald eagle, although Stellar's eagle cannot be ruled out either, as this species is known to exist in nearby parts of Alaska as well. As far as any species of bird that might have a better fit for the massive sizes of the one reported by Bauer and others in Alaska, wandering albatrosses whose wingspans can be 11 feet might be the candidate. We talked about that. However, this variety of bird is not known to exist in Alaska. Again, found more down by the, what do we say, the Atlantic River? Yeah. The, the Atlantic River, the Atlantic Ocean. Good God. I mean, the, uh, what was that, uh, what was that uh, movie that uh, came out when we were kids that had the little mice, like the Adventure Down Under? And, yeah, the Rescuers. Yeah, and they had the giant fucking eagle. Like, those things actually existed. I thought they flew on a seagull. No, the the uh, the the Australian guy was in the outback and he was mm, hunting mm. for like a, a golden like he found like a golden eagle feather and it belonged to like this giant like extinct eagle that didn't exist anymore. But it, in real life, like those things were back in the um, ice age in America, we had like eagles with like 30 foot wingspan. So really? Yeah. Huh. So, I mean, those things could survive, right? Yeah. I mean, there's also the Pelagornis sandersi, which was an ancient bird with a wingspan of like 24 feet, which is kind of close to these Thunderbirds, but this thing hasn't been around for, I mean, centuries either. So, I mean, shit, there could be like a flying emu that we don't know about, and that's really what it is. Those birds are <laughs> dick. I can see them taking That's true. 
that's very true. So it sounds kind of like these uh, these Thunderbirds are almost like uh, Bigfoot in a way. Like we yeah. celebrate Bigfoot and Sasquatch here, and the Thunderbird sounds like it's kind of like their Mothman of sorts. So yeah. <laughs> and you know, you always got to look at this and wonder how these things happen. Whether they're time travelers, they're interdimensional, or they just survive this long. And you have to harken back to Jurassic Park to Jeff Goldblum's quote that life uh, finds a way. That's right. There you go. The motto of our show. <laughs> cool. Kaka, tookie, tookie. Life finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cool. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Thunderbirds. Like them, love them, or leave them. Yeah. I mean, they're Ooh, a little man. bit more badass than Nessie because at least they'll eat your fucking kids. Like, you know, Nessie just pops out of the water and goes back under. So, yeah, it's funny. Uh, when we were prepping for this show, I happened to think that, you know, I think Thunderbirds are my number two on the lowest uh, totem pole of cryptids for me, but it's still interesting. Yeah. At the For me, at the bottom of the barrel, you still have something being reported flying around, something trying to steal children. <sighs> And something that, again, has survived folklore. It's just a little more enigmatic. Yeah. And maybe that's because the people who tell uh, the people who tell the tales are also like me and find them to be slightly boring. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, man. Well, anything else you want to cover, or do you think that about does it? No, I mean, I think that about does it. I did come across a book, and I'm going to pick it up, so I don't know when mm-hmm. we'll get to it, but it's actually called Cowboys and Saurians. So it deals with all of these weird random encounters with like uh, this this guy during the Civil War period um, captured down in Mexico, a saber tooth tiger, but it had like ears of the gorilla. And like then it talks about how there's like a tribe in Alaska that like came across a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So there's all these different cryptid encounters back in, you know, the 1800s with cowboys. And so I think I want to pick up that book because it sounds like it's a wild ride. So Mm, that'd be awesome, man. Yeah. One of the movies I hated the most was Cowboys and Aliens. Shut your fucking mouth. But (laughs) I would love to read more tales of, you know, old Western encounters with monsters, you know, Thunderbirds, Bigfoots. Uh, Chupacabra, stuff like that. So, I mean, that fucking movie had Harrison Ford, who's the man in it. All I right. saw Harrison Ford at the uh, Panera Bread here in Wichita. Yeah. Didn't have the balls to ask for a autograph, but I did walk by. He looked up and winked at me. I nodded back and said, <laughs> Dr. Jones. <laughs> didn't have the balls to say, hey, your cowboy movie was shit. <laughs> <laughs> didn't that have uh, 007 in it as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Hell yeah. Well, hey, let's have a quick uh, addendum, amended, whatever, amendment. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have a quick update here real quick on our Hannibal chat from earlier. Uh, On comicbook.com, I read that article you sent me. And it says here, Netflix has been the go-to spot for shows canceled too early, having saved shows like Lucifer and Longmire in the past. Netflix hasn't said anything about making more Hannibal, but fans have noticed what they believe to be clues may be indicating its return. The main evidence is here. At least in the eyes of folks online, Netflix has been dedicating actual time to fixing little issues in Hannibal. The previously incorrect subtitles are now accurate. Certain scenes have been brightened to provide clarity that viewers have been begging for. 
So it could be possible Netflix is taking better care of Hannibal because it does plan to have a future with it. And fanables have been flooding Twitter all over the last few weeks with cries for Netflix to renew the series. However, hidden within all those pleas for a resurrection are those who think there's evidence to support their requests. One tweeter says, These changes that Netflix is making in the episodes like subtitles, brightness, say a lot. They're listening to us. If they don't have plans for a show in the future, why would they worry about these details? Hopefully they are. How is that Netflix handling Hannibal? It really does seem promising. Changing thumbnails, fixing subtitles, increasing brightness, uncensoring scenes. Ooh, shit. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, buddy. (laughs) Etc. They're really listening to fans and showing commitment. They wanted to revive it before, but didn't have the rights. Well, they do now. So if that's the case, boy, howdy, I am fucking excited because... uh, Shit, I'm excited to watch Hannibal if it's actually going to be longer and uncut. Yeah, you're chubbing up a little bit. I'm chubbing up a lot of bit. Anyway, <laughs> this is not a podcast about chubs. <laughs> Unless it's Bigfoot's chub. It's about two chubby guys talking about monsters. Cool. All right, well, let's plug some shit and get out of here. Of course, if you haven't watched it already, check out Hannibal yeah. on Netflix. You have no excuse. Anthony Hopkins may have been the original, but Mads Mikkelsen is my Hannibal. That's right. Cool. All right, check out the rest of the shows on the Pixelated Sausage Network. Check out Mark Solo's show, Pixelated Sausage. Check out his Attack the Backlog series. Check out An Amazingly Baka if you like anime. Check out our Instagram, PXL Paranormal. That's where we post all the episode companion guides, updates, announcements, everything else on the Instagram. We are on Twitter, though we barely ever use it. But we're also on Facebook, and we got a pretty nice following, so I want to say a huge shout-out, a huge hello to everybody following us on Facebook. Because we do post the uh, Instagram posts, go straight to Facebook as well. And then we want to remind everybody, this is episode 148. We only have one more episode before we hit the landmark 150th episode. So please keep sending in those listener stories. We're starting to make a decent little pile here, and uh, that's what we're shooting for, episode 150, just to be a compendium of the weird shit happening to you guys. Because after all, that's why we started this podcast. Because we think everybody has a weird story to tell and know where to tell it. Let us be that safe space for you. Mm-hmm. Presto, what do you got? And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a non-Chicago bullshit beard, then check out BigDobsBeardBomb.com <laughs> and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And check out amazing scents like Dundee, Cedar, Bay Rum, Sweet Tobacco, Fresh Mint, Citrus, and Classic. And if you live in the Wichita area and you need to get rid of your Rona hair, go to <laughs> www.cutsbycolin.com. Again, that's W www.cutsbycolin.com and ask for the razzle dazzle and he will fluff the shit out of your hair and like just make it sparkle and shine and do all sorts of fancy shit because he's the man and after listening to the show if you've never taken the time go over to iTunes rate review and leave us something because that's what's going to spread this show yeah I do have an announcement here on the ratings and reviews I don't know when, but at some point, we got a one-star rating. 
we got our very first one-star rating. They didn't leave a review, so, well, you know, we don't know what you really think. Mm, fuck them. But you know what? Probably from Illinois. Yeah, you can't you can't <laughs> win them all. We're still rated five out of five stars, so we're very thankful for that. But yeah, uh, yeah drop by, leave us some words, let us know what you think, what you might want to hear us improve on. You know, we're only gonna get yeah. better if you tell us what we're doing wrong. Uh, we both graduated from art school, so we can handle uh, constructive criticism. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I've taken a licking and kept on ticking. And then also, speaking of podcasts, 13 Nightmares is still coming. Um, we got new episodes on the horizon. It's just trying to get through this COVID stuff and also realizing that now it might not be the best time to drop our voice into the ether. So we're just uh, biding our time, making some new content. We are coming back with some really fun stuff. We'll be talking about uh, cannibals, zombies, the movie Scream, among other really great things. So just uh, hold on a little bit longer and we'll get that puppy back on its feet. And then if you live in Wichita and when you're done seeing Colin getting your hair did, drop by CD Trade Post at Pawnee and Seneca. Say hi to Leslie and the gang for us. And also step on down to Fast Print at Harry and Rock Road. All right. I think that about does it, buddy. Anything else? Mm, nope. It's all all right. On behalf of Steve, I'd love to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.